This is episode 36 of the Rising Man podcast with Alexander Hill. Let's get real. Welcome back, risers, and happy Thursday to you guys. Another amazing interview lined up for you guys today. Let me just say that creating this podcast has been quite a journey. It all began almost a year ago. We're not quite at the year mark yet, but the inception of this idea was almost a year ago. And in that time, so much has happened. I'm really just appreciating the unfolding of my vision and how everything that I wanted to create in my life was amplified when the idea to create this podcast came to be. And in this process of having the inception of this idea and then getting nose to the grindstone deep in the day-to-day, focusing on one task every single day that moved the needle forward, a lot of times I would forget to soar up to that 30,000 foot view to appreciate just how far I've come. And when I go up to that 30,000 foot perspective is when I really can appreciate what has gone in to achieving this goal and how far I've made it on my journey and how even though it doesn't feel like things are changing from one day to the next, everything in my life is changing. Everything in my life has changed in just the past year. And so I just want to take a moment to reflect on that and to invite any of you guys out there who feel as though maybe you feel like you're spinning your tires or you've been really hacking away at something and you haven't seen that clear indication that you have won, that you're winning, that you're succeeding on your mission yet. Take a moment to reflect back to where you were a year ago or even six months ago, or in some cases, maybe even longer, maybe five years ago. Think about who you were and who you are now. And then see if the forecast still looks bleak. Then see if you really feel as though you haven't accomplished much. Because I guarantee you, no matter what the circumstances of your life have been, you've definitely come quite a ways in a longer period of time. Maybe you just haven't looked at it in a while. I know that was my listening, my learning in this past week was just taking a moment, pausing, breathing, soaring up to 30,000 feet to look at how far I've come in the past year and how far the Rising Man podcast, the Rising Man movement has come in just the past year. So invitation for all you guys out there, take it or leave it. Let me also take a moment to remind all of you guys that the Elements Wilderness Immersion Training for Men is taking place here in the greater Los Angeles area from October 26th to October 28th. Applications are live. So make sure you apply today. Links are in the show notes where you can get more information and click the button to that'll bring you directly to the application page. This three-day training is going to be amazing. It's going to be spectacular. It's going to be something that you've never experienced before because we're taking a team of 12 men out into the into the wilderness and creating the challenges, creating the experiences that we need in order to break through the barriers that are holding us and keeping us back from living in our highest fulfillment and highest success. So make sure you guys apply today. Like I said, information can be found in the show notes. The link is rise.jettyazuma.com slash elements. Like I said, the link will be in the show notes if you need it. It's also in the Rising Man Facebook group. So no excuses, you guys. The information's out there. Make sure you apply today. Okay, let me tell you about my guest for today's interview. Alexander Hill started in commercial real estate in Manhattan about 10 years ago. 
He was fresh out of college, and by the age of 26, he was making more income than 99% of Americans. But he was unhappy, unfulfilled, dying on the inside. And at the age of 27, his world completely changed after his first time sitting with ayahuasca. The wake-up call was clear. And after 27 years, his connection to his spiritual life, his spiritual path had just begun. Alexander now helps leaders get out of their minds and into their spirit. He's appeared on national television, on several podcasts, and stays busy igniting a tribe of leaders from his home in California. His mission is clear, to transform this world one breath at a time. And I've had the pleasure of meeting and connecting with Alexander in person. He and his wife, Aishel, live just 30 minutes down the highway from where my wife and I live. So awesome human being, awesome path that he's creating. I'm excited for him to share his story with each one of you guys today. So just a glimpse into this episode, some of the things we talked about were the many ways we distract ourselves from our deepest pains using success, material gains, and indulgent behaviors to cover up our truth. We talked about how Alexander found his way back to his truth after establishing an incredibly successful life for himself. We talked about walking the spiritual path with integrity, honoring the old ways, and the healing power of humor and not taking ourselves so seriously all the damn time. Message for me right there. We also especially talked about how having the ability to laugh at ourselves and make light of our missteps is the secret gold to success. So without further ado, I present to you guys Alexander Hill. All right. Alexander Hill in the building, live from Carpinteria, California. How are you doing today, my brother? I'm doing great. How are you, Jetty? I'm doing wonderful, man. It's kind of an overcast morning here in Southern California, which we can get from time to time, but feels good, man. I'm feeling refreshed by the moisture in the air. We don't get that very often down here. Yeah, that moisture coming off the ocean, it's, it's nice. You know, most of the SoCal is scorching in the heat and we got some ocean breeze. Can't complain. <laughs> Yeah, very fortunate here. You know, I'm really grateful that we, you and I have been able to connect in person. A lot of the people that I interview, we don't actually get to meet in person because everything's so digital and virtual these days. But connecting with you and your partner and, and understanding your journey really gave me an appreciation for what you've been through as a man. And I'm looking forward to getting into that because it's a great story. So before we do, before we jump into all the juiciness of it, let me ask you the questions I ask everybody when I start off. And the first one is, what is the difference between a boy and a man? All right. It was just recently that a spiritual teacher, a master and a doctor of Ayur Ayurvedic medicine who likes to remain anonymous and low key, but you know, very, very knowledgeable, one of, you know, one of the most knowledgeable people I've ever met about health and, and wisdom. And, and he read my Vedic astrology chart and he told me that I matured very late in my life. And I feel like in a lot of ways, I had to go through a lot of stories and a lot of lessons to get to really, truly be a, be a man. So I would say for me, personally, the journey from boyhood to truly becoming a man kind of happened recently because, you know, everything that I am, I, I call myself a man today with a capital M-A-N, mm -hmm. but I think for most of my life, I wasn't able to do that. And I think for even in my 20s, I, looking back and, you know, I was not a man in my truth. I was doing the best I could, but in a lot of ways, my maturity 
had not come full circle because I didn't, I didn't have the access to certain things, so spirituality being a more recent thing that I've adopted in my life in the past five years. So, so really before I became spiritual, I didn't know what it meant to truly be a man. I had an idea. I had a conception. I had society's definition of a man. But, but really before, you know, I began my spiritual path five years ago, I had no idea what, what being a man and embodying, you know, the true divine masculine really meant. And so within that spiritual journey that you've been on, a spiritual awakening, what did you find was missing when it comes to being a man that you didn't know before? I would say this courage and and uh, ability to stand alone and to sta- stand alone in, in, in my truth and then also to understand oneness fully. You know, oneness is something that I've been noticing is not understood by most of America, it seems, including, you know, some of my family members, some of my friends. Oneness seems to be the border or line of separation, I think, in a lot of the world today. When people embody, understand, or have experienced oneness in any way, shape, or form that, you know, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you don't know what I'm talking about. So, so uh, <laughs> I, I would say that, yeah, that oneness, really understanding oneness was a, a major, major turning point in my life. And, and that sort of was the key that um, unlocked everything. One, once, you know, a man understands how everything is connected and how every action is sacred and how every, everything is really vibrational on this planet, there's no more playing small and there's no more sweeping stuff under the rug. Because you, you, once you understand karma and you understand all of these spiritual teachings, you know it's coming back to you. You know, you know that if you cut corners here and there, and in a lot of ways, in, in, in my teens and my 20s, I was cutting the corner because, you know, I looked out at the world and I had a very dismal view of what the world was and the way that it operated. And I carried that dismal view into, I'm just going to make money. I'm just going to do me. And I'm, I'm going to do what I got to do and cover myself. Mm. Right. So that was not a, that was not a view of oneness. That was not a view of interconnectedness. That was not an understanding of, of karma. It was just like, I'm going to get mine and I'm going to survive on my own. And, and it seems like making money is the best way to do that because I'll have, you know, the ability, you know, this so-called power or this ability to, you know, be in control of certain things in my life. And that, that was a big illusion. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad that you took the time to pick that apart because we have gotten to what I would consider to be a saturation point when it comes to this question. A lot of men who've come on to the show as a guest ultimately get to, it's about taking ownership. It's about taking responsibility for more than just ourselves, for taking responsibility for ourselves, but also for something greater. And I totally align with what you're saying that, you know, at least for me, my measure of a man is one who takes responsibility for all things, for all beings, who mm-hmm. makes every child his son or daughter, who makes every elder his grandfather or grandmother and every tree part of his life, you know? And, and there's a lot of people, I think, who will hear this and say, what are these guys talking about, <laughs> you know, being in relationship with the trees and the rocks? But there really is no simpler term than oneness, that we are, if we imagine ourselves as all part of one earth organism, just the way our bodies are mm-hmm. all part of one 
Earth Jetty or one one Jetty and one Alexander, mm-hmm. we recognize that we're all we're all components and our actions have implications. So so thank you for articulating that. I thought that was really, really well done, man. It makes me interested in this follow-up question. Actually, before I get to that one, let me ask you this. You you started off by saying that it took you a little while to lean into or to really discover yourself as a man, to really understand what it was to be a man. And it sounded like maybe you looked like a man by society standards and you acted like a man and had a lot of other box boxes checked off for what society considers to be a man before you really felt like one before you really arrived. Would you say that that was true for you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, on the, on the surface, I, I had all the boxes checked. And and deep down inside, there was a big box. And it was really, it came down to my life purpose and, and my mission and my work on this planet. Uh, that that was not aligned. So I, I, I knew my soul, my spirit, my higher self, however, however people want to describe it, that's how I'll describe it, just just this higher wisdom and this higher guidance that I was somehow tuned into, even though I was addicted to, you know, certain substances. And, you know, at, at the time I was addicted to money, <laughs> you know, I was addicted to money. I, mm-hmm. I drank a lot of coffee. I went, you know, drank coffee in the morning and then winded down with some alcohol, happy hour and over eight. I mean, you know, it was just uh, one thing after another, but really, at the core of it, I always knew that I was capable of something more than that existence. And I didn't know how to snap out of it. I didn't know how to snap out of the patterns and the habits and the the way of making money that I became so accustomed to. And after seven years being born and raised in New York City, after learning the commercial real estate hustle and, and really embodying it, it became second nature to me. And and making six figures consistently every year became easy for me because I knew how to do it. And I built up clients and certain things. And I knew that I was taking that for granted. And then I also had this really strong tie to New York City where I knew that if I had gone anywhere else in the world, I wouldn't be able to survive because I knew the buildings and I knew the real estate in New York City and that always kind of scared me because I was born and raised in New York, but there was this also kind of like New York, Big Apple uh, arrogance of that I was from the best city in the world. And I think a lot of New Yorkers have this. It's like, why would we go anywhere else? We go other places on vacation and then we come back to New York. So, so it was just kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, that idea always really like triggered me in a way. I was like, you know, what if, what if the real estate market just took a huge dive and crash and I had to do something else? I haven't developed any other skills or I hadn't really, other than, you know, salesmanship was a, a great skill to learn, but, but it was very tied and rooted to the geographic area of New York. And, you know, I, I developed a lot of comfort in that, in that lifestyle. And a, a lot of, I would just call it comfort. Mm. After I got through the initial challenges of, of, you know, that world, it started to plateau and it started to get a little stagnant for me. And then when I hit 27 and 28, I started asking bigger questions and I started seeking deeper meaning out of life. And that, that's really when my plant medicine journey began at the age of 28. <laughs> wow, man. Yeah. I, I always like to say that, that comfort can be a killer especially when it comes to our, our life purpose and our vision. And so much of what you described there, the drinking coffee every morning, drinking wine every night, 
going out and get, being addicted to money and the hustle. A lot of these things, for those of you guys who are listening, are the distractions that we manifest to that prevents us from connecting to that deep sense of purpose. Mm. And I've I've experienced it myself. I've seen it in enough men to this point where I can confidently say, if you have not discovered and are living into whatever that unique purpose is, whatever that unique medicine, that gift that you have on this planet that no one else has, if you haven't begun to live that part of your life, then you're still hiding from something. You're still, mm-hmm. or not, you're not going to ever feel complete. You're not going to ever feel fulfilled. And so I hear that in your journey, man. And I'm just, I'm ready to just jump right in because, you know, we're both East Coasters. And you said, you also said something that I thought was really fascinating. How much fear is wrapped up behind the arrogance of being a New Yorker? Because mm. let's face it, man, New York, the, the culture of New York is arrogant. It's proud. It's like New York strong. Mm. And uh, just like you said, man, if New York disappeared, there'd be millions of people who were left clueless and afraid. So let's talk about real estate, the Big Apple, the fear that's the uh, in the underbelly of the city, wherever you want to go with it, man. Yeah, born and raised in Riverdale, which is like a, a nice middle class section of the Bronx. And my father was from the Bronx. His father was a firefighter in the Bronx. My father was an educator. He, he coached swimming and taught physical education. So come from a very active family. You know, my family was always doing things and rock climbing and all sorts of camping trips and fun outdoor stuff growing up. And, but, you know, at the same time, it was kind of ironic because we lived in the Bronx. We lived in, you know, Riverdale and we, I would go to Manhattan often and, you know, we were living in this urban center. And then, you know, we also had once in a while, we would get away from it and experience nature. And something about nature always felt really aligned and at peace, even in my younger years. And my father subscribed to, you know, the Hudson River School and, you know, Walt Whitman poetry where, you know, finding this sanctuary in nature and finding this peace and this solace in nature. But at the same time, that was kind of like overridden by being a New Yorker (laughs) because you have so much pride in yourself and that came along with competition. And that came along with there's so many people in this city that I want to be the best. I mean, my parents were athletes. My parents were competitive. They, they taught me how to win, you know, so that carried over. There's not necessarily anything wrong with, with human competition, but if it doesn't come back to gratitude and if it doesn't come back to really honoring, you know, your teammates or honoring the people that you're competing against, then shaking their hand and giving them a hug at the end, you know, it can become really ruthless and reckless for, for humanity. And I think a lot of sports fans in particular, and a lot of things, you know, get really wrapped up in the competition of things. And it's really easy to fall out of alignment. You know, we forget what's really important here. And, you know, winning Mm -hmm. becomes the, the main thing. And I think that's the culture and that's the mentality of business in New York, right? You know, out of, you know, college, went back to New York City, got into real estate. It was a shark tank, you know, and it was like, you know, five, Mm -hmm. less than 5%. I think it was like 1% of 
commercial real estate brokers would actually continue with it after six months. And, and, and I took that as a challenge. I took that as a challenge. I said, I'm going to be that 1%. I'm going to be the cream of the crop here. I'm going to beat my competitors out and I'm going to do whatever it takes to become a top salesman. And that's exactly what I did. I, I won all sorts of awards, you know, 30 under 30 and became a top real estate broker for my age group, really, you know, 30 under 30 of commercial brokers in New York City. And, and you know, at the time, it, it, it was like this achievement. But then, you know, when I had, when I really tuned into who I was, it didn't make me that proud. Mm. There was something deeper. There was something I knew I had to experience in this life. And, and that award on my desk just didn't do it. I kind of stood behind that award to protect myself from something that was a, uh. from something that was a little more deep and a little bit scarier because I knew there I knew there was some fear and I knew I still had some things to discover in this life and nobody else. And we hear that a lot, right? We hear we hear that all the time. We hear got we hear people speaking about success in terms of, you know, financial success or awards, achievements and recognizing that it, it wasn't everything they thought it would be on the mm. other side of it. I and mean, we hear this story over and over again. And I, before you keep going, I want to open up this conversation of competition a little bit more because mm. I think it's a particularly relevant conversation when it comes to men. And, you know, we, we've tried, I'll be, I'll be transparent here. We tried to set this interview up a couple of times and it just happens to be landing on Tuesday, September 11th. Mm. And I remember that that time in New York City, being a New Yorker, being right across the river from where everything was happening, it's like it took something of that magnitude to remind us that we're all in this together, like that spirit mm -hmm. of oneness. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you want to speak to that or, or whatever comes up around co competitiveness and that city culture and, and sometimes what it takes to remove that veil. Yeah, I want to speak about like the v vibrational reality of 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 what I was living in and I was seeking something deeper and I didn't know what it was and the competitiveness and the drive that I had was eating away at me it was eating away at my health I actually looked at 25 I looked older than I do right now you know if that's even possible to believe but like 25 26 I mean I was working my butt off and I was going out and nightclubs and just I was not, <laughs> I was not in alignment in, in my, you know, total health and well-being. But but getting back to this vibrational reality of seeking a answer to a question, right? And and I was I, I was let's call it the real estate vibration, right? The New York City real estate vibration. I was seeking something deeper. I was asking a deeper question than most people in the real estate world wanted to ask. Because if you look at the New York City real estate market. Most of the brokers say, okay, I close the deal, I make money, I'm good, I can support my family, or I can go home to my girlfriend, or I can go home to my, my partner, pay my bills, and then go back to work, close another deal. And it's just this, this cycle of like, you know, okay, I achieved that, what's next? More deals, more deals, you know, that, that type of vibration. And I had already done that. And, and at a point, after doing that 100 times, after closing 100 deals or so, I started to ask these deeper questions. And nobody around me had the answers to those questions because nobody else pondered those questions. Mm -hmm. So people thought I was weird and people thought I was crazy <laughs> because they would, you know, I, I would say, well, you know, I said, you know, I would ask people, do you really want to do this for the rest of your life? And they would say, well, I'm not thinking about the rest of my life. I'm thinking about right now. And they would kind of just steer away, you know, the, the, 
you know, most people, if you ask them a deep question or a, not most people, but a lot of people, if you ask a deep question that can stir up fear, they're going to either change the subject, go take a phone call or find a way to get out of that question, right? Without having to face the real truth of it. So, so I was asking these questions, nobody else was. And I started to feel like a little bit of an outsider. I started to feel like, you know, maybe my heart, too, my heart is too big for this game. Maybe I started to work with clients that also had, you know, big hearts and, you know, more of the mom and pop businesses because I did commercial retail. So I, I really resonated with the people that the immigrant stories of guys who had come over and, you know, started their own restaurant business and done it on their own. And I shied away from the Dunkin' Donuts and the Dwayne Reeds and the Starbucks and the corporate entities. But but really what I'm getting at here, tying it all back, is there was a deeper meaning that was coming up for me. And no one in my reality at the time was able to really support what the questions that I was asking, right? Because th these were questions that were that were spiritual in nature and I was not in a spiritual community at the time. So it wasn't, it wasn't until I took a dive into the spiritual world that those questions started to, to become answered. And, and that's when I knew, you know, and, and that's really what stepping out of the comfort zone meant to me. That's what, you know, was getting out of that vibrational reality and you can call it taking a step back, taking a, a step forward. I take, call it taking a step forward into the unknown, but, but really just trusting a friend who had worked with a shaman and, and just deciding literally 10 days before I heard the, the term ayahuasca or you know plant medicine, uh, 10 days after I heard that word, I knew something, something in my soul knew that that word was going to help me. And I followed the diet. I followed the protocol. I did everything that I could to prepare for stepping into the unknown because I thought I might die, you know. And and uh, it's funny because, you know, you see all these things on the internet and you hear all these horror stories, and it's almost like we always hear about the worst things that happen. It's like the the Channel Eleven news effect. Like we always hear about the crimes. We always hear about the murders. We always hear. But in reality, like most people are out there, like you know, living a regular life or like having a decent time and like not everybody, but all you yeah. see on the news is, is chaos. So it's kind of the same thing, you know, in the, in the medicine community, like you hear about maybe like one in like 10,000 people kicked the bucket or, you know, did, did some, something went wrong and there was a casualty or something, but, but you look at, you know, the same thing happens with anything, you know, you, you're driving your car on the highway and you know, the, the odds are a lot worse than that or flying a plane. I mean, you know exactly what I'm saying, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, we always tend to, our, the fear response in us always tends to gravitate towards, oh my God, that could happen. When in fact that, that you know, that that's not really the reality of, of what's occurring and we just don't know. And we're, we're, you know, it's, it's our protection mechanism, essentially. Yeah. Let's talk, let's talk about fear for a second. Let's talk about fear then. Cause sure. we, you mentioned that a lot of the, uh, a lot of what was happening for you as an individual behind the real estate front was, was fear. Mm. And I think that that's become a major part of our culture. It's become a defining part of our culture mm. is how fear is experienced, how fear is propagated and how fear is utilized as as a as a weapon, as a tool, as an instrument against you know to to manipulate people. Let's just say that. Mm. So when it comes to fear around stepping into the unknown, you you know whether it's plant medicines or just 
uncertainties of, of taking a big leap. How did you uh, how did you negotiate that? How did you decide that that was what you had to do versus the comfort, the easy life? I think the masculine thrives on challenges, and I, I think that any man that that's really embodying his masculine. And you know, as I got older, I had I had always challenged myself in different ways, and you know, it began first in my adolescence and in my early twenties as physical. I did some marathons and some triathlons. I worked my way up to a half Ironman and, and I actually got to a point where it was kind of when the spiritual path began. I said, what, you know, what am I exerting all this energy towards? What am I, you know, competing so heavily? Why am I training several hours a day for what? Right. I couldn't answer that question, but, but I think that the divine masculine thrives on challenges and these challenges manifested in the beginning as physical, like I just mentioned. And then the daredevil, yeah, I think I was like 24, 25 when I first uh, jumped out of a plane and, uh, and then I did bungee jumping. I was looking to do all the craziest stuff that I possibly could do. And it was all yang energy. It was all like outward sort of, not, I'm not aggressive, but just this, this adrenaline sort of like rah, rah, rah energy where, you know, I would be like, I did this and, you know, it would feel really good. And, you know, that was this, this kind of, you know, I would, I would check the box of like, I'm a man, you know, I just competed the marathon or, you know, I, I just jumped out of a plane or whatever you, you want to call it. But, you know, there, there was some sort of seeking that was there and challenging myself that was there that I was fulfilling. In a way, it was beautiful that all those things occurred because I had experience pushing myself and I had experience surviving a lot of those things, jumping out of a plane, uh, finishing a marathon, finishing a half Ironman, you know, in under six hours, which is like really intense. And, you know, who knows, I might get back into that world one day if, if it's for the, for the right reason. You know, a lot of that stuff was a lot of fun. But at the same time, I think the underlying drive of, of challenging myself as a man is what, is what encouraged me to do those things. So it actually made it easier for the spiritual dive that I took stepping into the unknown because I had stepped into the unknown as much as I possibly could before in the realm that I knew and, and everything that I had experienced up until that point. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like, Oh, spirituality. Yeah. Let's dive right in, you know? And I, I kind of like, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I had no idea what I was getting into. I just trusted deep trust, you know, deep trust that, mm. that I had made it, you know, I had, I had had a couple near death experiences at 22 and 23. I, I, I did the uh, PCT and I almost fell off the side of an icy mountain. It was a very close call. I had had a couple close calls, uh, you know, getting hit by a car on my bike. I had had a couple near death experiences and I was just like, you know what, if I'm still here, if I'm still here after all this stuff I've been through, the universe must have my back and the universe is going to have my back when I go do this and it's going to support me. I didn't really understand fully how much of it, my back, how much of my back it actually had, but it's, it's had my back. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, that's what it's all about, man, is, is being able to have that level of trust to making a habit out of leaning into the uncomfortable. Mm. It's it's a behavior, getting used to recognizing, oh, this feels uncomfortable, let's jump in. Yeah. And I think that is one thing that a lot of us have a challenge with. I know for me personally, that's that's been one of my greatest adventures is learning how to recognize where I feel uncomfortable 
and retraining myself to remember that's where the learning happens. That's where the growth happens is mm. on the razor's edge. So some of us experience that, uh, you know, by seeking adrenaline thrills and, and all of those things. But this uh, the spiritual journey or this inward journey, some would say requires even more courage and confidence and even more trust because it's that's a very expansive journey. Yeah, I mean, th- there, there's two experiences that that uh, I usually share when telling my story that haven't come up, but I, I was misdiagnosed with bipolar at 15. That that really was the beginning of my adolescent rebellious stage. And I was sort of couldn't find my place in the world. You know, being labeled bipolar, putting on being put on several psychoactive medications was one of the biggest challenges of my life to fight back and to bounce back. I would say that was this first spiritual fight of my life and I didn't even know it. But reclaiming my spirit after being put on the largest doses of lithium, respiratol, you know, all of these sort of menace to society quellers because I was a threat, you know, and I had a lot of energy at 15 years old and a lot of creative expression and a lot of fire. And people didn't know what to do with that. People didn't know what to do with this kid. I was, I was a wild kid. And, and really, I was looking for love and support, but it didn't seem like anyone around me was able to give me that love and support or really feel. And, you know, a lot of teenagers go through a similar thing, but I think I took it to, to a pretty intense level. I, I got arrested. I, I was put in a, a mental asylum for about a month. And uh, I really thought the world was against me. I became harmful to myself. I was very violent and I really lost it, you know, and and the psychiatrist, Mm. the way that they diagnose these types of things is by labeling it mania. And then there was never really much depression. I was always a happy, happy guy. But they say, oh, you don't we don't need a a depression episode to diagnose bipolar disorder. But within a year, I was able to con- convince my parents that I was not bipolar and get off the medication completely and learn how to balance and, and stabilize my energy uh, holistically and as best as I could in, in New York City at the time. And, and that's sort of when a lot of myself was subdued. I learned how to act better in society so I wouldn't get arrested again. I learned how to behave. I learned how to follow rules. I learned how to get a scholarship to college. And I thought, I mm. and on the surface, I was checking all the boxes again. This was like the part one of checking all the boxes, even before real estate, high school, the college. It was just like, I had to clean up my act because I had messed up so bad and I, I had got arrested. I felt like I had done something wrong. I, I felt like mm. I was not normal. I was not fit for this world. So the next seven years of my life were cleaning up my act, getting my grades back up. I had put on 50 pounds from the psychoactive medications. It, it, these things will literally make you a zombie. I don't believe anybody, anybody is bipolar or ADHD. I think it's all a bunch of BS. But, uh, you know, that's my, that's my belief. Wow. <laughs> well, that's something I could really relate to, man. I, I'd like to hear you speak a little more about that because yeah. the, the, the taming, right? The, the quote unquote neutering that mm. happens, especially if we're just speaking about the masculine in this conversation, where a lot of those emotions that we feel as a teenager, when the, when our hormones and our internal chemistry is starting to shift, the expression of that, of that shift of that, of that energy, those energies that arise within us 
isn't accepted. And so many of us have an experience where it, it's trying to come through at that age and there's nobody there to receive it. Right. And it'll get labeled as bipolar. It'll get labeled as you're the, you're the rebellious kid. You're the bad apple. You're the bad egg in the bunch. Mm. And so I, cause I have a story like I, that I can relate to in that as well. And, and it, it affected the way that I showed up in my life in my early twenties. You know, I was already a people pleaser and I wanted to make everybody like me. And when I had my first rage episode of I can't deal with my emotion right now I need to let it out Mm. it terrified everybody around me and immediately I dropped even deeper into that story of okay how do I play the part so that people don't kick me out or put me in an institution or because if you literally feel crazy when that's what other how other people receive it absolutely absolutely let's go into that dialogue man because that's that's huge how how are we underserving our young men and our boys who, who don't get to express the full expression of masculinity. It's a generational ancestral suppression of the masculine for control in this world. And it might be a little bit to, to explain or to comprehend, uh, but you know, this is a pretty advanced topic here, but, but I would say the suppression of masculine leadership, right? And, and it really comes from, I think, a lot of the media and it comes from a lot of the food we eat and you take somebody, my wife and I work with plant medicines and we work with a lot of the tribes, you know, different tribes around the world. We're going to New York tomorrow to support an indigenous gathering of, of 30 different tribes around the world. And when you see people that have had not had contact with the Western world or, or people that have not had their customs changed by colonialism, they're operating with the strength of the earth and they're operating with the elements. They're operating aligned with nature and they are extremely powerful. And you don't see that kind of power in most American men. And the, re- mm. the reason, you know, there might be bodybuilders, there might be tough guys, there might be a lot of men that have learned karate or martial arts and a lot of awesome stuff, but it's really like the deep core ancestral understanding of nature and when you know when we see shamans that have that come from an unbroken lineage and and we can feel their energy and their power it's a totally different ball game they're operating from an, an entirely different place and not to put anything you know in comparison or you know everything is what it is and it's exactly perfect but but what i'm saying here is there has been a suppression of the masculine and it stems from a disconnection that we have with the natural world. And I think especially as someone from New York City, I can relate to that first and foremost, because you know now living in a more rural environment, I feel my connection with, to nature you know, coming back. I feel a lot of what I was missing growing up on an everyday basis, you know, just, even just simple things like you know the ocean and fresh air and just having you know, having a campfire, you know, once a week, I didn't have that too much growing up, but, but just my relationship to the fire element has been incredible. So just really rewilding ourselves as as American men is so, so important. And, you know, I, I think I'm speaking to the majority. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of men out there, Eagle Scouts, going into the wilderness, doing their thing. Awesome, awesome stuff. And I commend all of the guys doing that work, it's amazing education and passing that down is so important. 
But, uh, you know, I'm just speaking from my own experience of what I see in the media and, and growing up and the stripping of, of the masculine power in mainstream America. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree with that, man. And I, I'm glad that you mentioned the elements and reconnecting with nature, rewilding ourselves is one of the things I heard you say. And, um, you know, we, we both have have been a part of the ceremonial community, plant medicine communities. And so I think of these these medicines, these teachers as invitations for us to get to, to reconnect because we've become so disconnected as a mainstream society from nature, from the natural world. Mm. And we're a part of it. Back to that same theme of oneness that you mentioned in the beginning. So let's let's work our way into this part of the conversation. Uh, we've seen a reemergence of these these medicines, these teachers being coming to front and center on the main stage. You know, all over the world now, these medicines are traveling. I don't know if it's ever happened in the, in human history that these medicines have made it as far as they have around the world. Yeah. So. What is what's your perspective on that? A lot there's a lot of people who say this is not this is not what was intended for this medicine, and I know a lot of other people have a different perspective on that. That it's exactly what needs to happen. I think anybody who says anything like wasn't intended or it should be a certain way, there's some kind of struggle there because there only is what is, and there, the the only spiritual teaching that I've come to accept is that if you can't accept what is. Or, or, you know, it's, it's a similar thing when people get offended, like, well, you know, why are you offended? What did you just get offended by? You know, this, this is what is, this is what's happening. It's what's going down. So mistakes are made, you know, and, and, and I'm not talking about a lot of people say no regrets, no mistakes, but there's certain people out there that, that are not qualified to, to be shamans and that are carrying medicine and, and they could go back to the forest and spend a few more years. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, other people that are making a lot of money off the medicine as well. And you see a lot of that, right? I guess what I'm getting at here is I don't believe that there's any right or wrong. There's only what is, you know, the situation of what's happening is, is absolutely meant to be happening. And whether it's somebody that is carrying medicine and then they run into something that they can't handle and they get a life lesson and a close call or something that snaps them back into their humility, that that could be something that's meant to happen, meant to be learned and meant to be taught. People are getting checked with this work. A lot of people feel this enlightened, this so you know, this this empowered enlightenment with this spiritual work and and they'll get to the point where they you know they could they could be moving too fast or taking it a little too far too soon. Right. And I I've seen it. I've seen it happen a lot in this, in these communities from, you know, New York to California, to the jungle, to Costa Rica, to Peru, to Brazil. I've witnessed it firsthand. And, and what always happens is these people will get checked by others. And then eventually it will come back to the wisdom of the elders. And anyone who's working with plant medicine knows that because we are constantly humbled by this work and humbled by oneness and humbled by, you know, the plants. So I think, I think all is meant to be. And I think, uh, I think mm -hmm. that anyone that says, you know, the situation of what's happening right now and the, the, the way it's being spread, I believe it's happening perfectly. And it's happening, it's happening just in the way that it needs to and the corrections will correct themselves. And, and it's just, it's all in alignment. Yeah. I mean, I, I really believe that truly. And, you know, in, in working with, 
you know, the medicines that, that I work with in the way that I do, sort of introducing a lot of people to things like hape or sananga, you know, which are, which are legal medicines here in the United States, that work is, is near and dear to my heart. And I wouldn't be doing it if I, if I didn't believe in it fully. And, and if I didn't understand or have the capacity to hold the space for that. So, so I feel very called to this transformation and sort of this encouragement. It might not be perfect. You know, everybody might not go to the forest. They might not go down to the Amazon and have a perfect experience their first time journeying with whatever substance it might be. But it doesn't necessarily have to be the case. People have this, 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 you know, I did my first ceremony in Brooklyn, <laughs> you know, and it's mine, like, mine was in Queens. You know, <laughs> exactly. So, so it's like, you know, but, but I can guarantee you that, that, that ceremony changed my life and it brought me, it brought me to Peru. It brought me to Brazil. It brought me deeper on the journey. And at the time, to be completely honest, I would, I didn't know even what I was getting into and thank you know, thank the universe for carrying, thank, thank you to the person who brought that medicine to Brooklyn to share it because I wasn't going to the jungle at that point in my life. I didn't even know what I was going to the jungle for. And I am so grateful that that person had the integrity and, and had spent six or seven years in Peru training with, with a master. And, and she was brave, you know, she was brave enough to bring that and share it. Yeah, my first experience was with a female shaman and, and you know, it was the, the grandmother spirit and, you know, going from this yang to this yin energy. And it was just so beautiful to experience that. And, and I would say anybody that this is the nature of the world that we live in today is, you know, technology, convenience, all sorts of things that are, are realities in this present day. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's going to go to the jungle and have this utopian experience with the perfect shaman. Yeah. It's, the, the, the system and infrastructure is just really not set up for that. So, so the fact that there are people out there sharing as, as doing the absolute best that they can in their alignment and integrity, you know, God bless them, you know, because, because they're, they're helping people wake up just like myself and now committing my life to this work. Right on, man. And and so I know we're getting close to time here. Before we wrap up, um, how would you say people who are beginning to walk this path and and want to sit with these medicines and these teachers and mm. these ways, how can they be? How can they do so with integrity and really a sense of honor and respect? Yeah, I think by just taking the initiative of going to do them and and work with them and 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 to take this step is something that's commendable in the in the first place. Uh, so. I would say be gentle, be kind, and be loving with yourself on this journey because you're going to go through a lot of light and you're going to go through a lot of darkness and it's all part of the path and it's all necessary. And it always comes back to that love and that trust. And I would not worry too much about what other people think. At my very beginning stages, I couldn't sing any songs in circle and and I was conscious, you know, I was self-conscious of myself. You know, all these people have been doing this for years, praying and doing things properly. And I would make mistakes, you know, even in the direction of the sacred fire or the, the sweat lodge or you name it. I made probably every sacred mistake imaginable, you know, but, but <laughs> I, it was not my intention to do that. But look, I mean, you know, that was, that was, you know, it's okay. Yeah. Obviously. Once you learn and 
you're not expected to do it again, right? So, you know, any elder, any teacher will see it happen maybe once, maybe twice, but then like the third time, all right, like, what are you doing, buddy? Like, you need to check it, you know? So, so it's kind of just like, you know, being yeah. easy with ourselves and being kind to ourselves that, you know, we're not perfect and accepting that imperfectness and, and laughing at ourselves, you know, just really taking it easy on ourselves in this journey that we might trip and fall on our face sometimes and get embarrassed and it's all love you know that's what this path is about you know we all support each other and yeah i embarrassed myself on bravo tv i was on a dating show so in a lot of ways like a lot of the most embarrassing the most embarrassing thing that could have ever happened to a person kind of already happened to me so really everything else has been kind of like easy if i messed up here and there it's like I, i've already been on bravo and on a horrible date got humiliated by a very mean woman and just kind of took it like a little wimp and the whole country kind of like saw that on bravo tv it was nationally televised so like after bouncing back from that you can make you can a do few mistakes here and there and it's not the end of the world <laughs> yeah you're right on man i love the i love that you said sacred mistakes i think that's such a great context to hold that in because we can't be so hard on ourselves man and you know it when it comes to the ceremonial space i also didn't grow up with those ways i wasn't raised like that so when you first step into it imagine that you're stepping into it as an infant yeah because if you were you know you see children come in who, who have who have been raised around these ways and they're doing the things that that we would do because they don't know better yet yeah but then as you grow up and you spend more time with it, you learn and you grow. And, and we're just the fact that we're adults doesn't mean that we know how to do everything, especially in, in spaces that we don't yet know. So I, I'm glad you brought that message of gentleness. It's a good reminder for all of us. And there's beautiful humor in it, too. It's, it's honestly probably the funniest thing <laughs> you know, for us all to like kind of laugh at each other when we're on this path of, of relearning and reeducating ourselves. And the best part of ceremony is when that sun comes up in the morning. Mm -hmm. you know and and we're all reminded and we're all just in awe of of the magnificence of this life and and just how incredible it is and and how we're just all part of the bigger picture right so you know from that perspective we can laugh at the, the little hiccup <laughs> <You know? laughs> awesome man uh, I, I love that thanks for bringing that in so let's let's do this let's wrap up i i usually ask a few lightning questions just to kind of keep keep you on the edge of your seat here. So okay. what is the one thing you wish you learned that you know now that you wish you knew when you were 18? Hmm. Sacred ways. Yeah, right on, man. Me too. What do you think is the <laughs> most important value to have as a man? Self-love. Self-love. All right. And how can people follow your journey, work with you, interact with you? There's, there's so much about you that we didn't get into. There's, you know, like you said, an hour is, is not that much time. But how can people engage with you and connect? Well, my wife and I, we, we have a few different projects, some that we work together, some we do, we do on our own. Uh, the project that I'm focusing right now is called Tribal Plants. It's tribalplants.com, the Instagram, and it's in combination with, with a company I've, I've, I've had for four years called Heal by Sound, healbysound.com. And it's really the events and the work that we do with these teachings and this coaching. And, and the coaching aspect is developing as we speak and, you know, really stepping into my role as a coach and, and supporting others, you know, with, with these teachings as my ally and, and with these plants and ancient wisdom as my guide. So the workshop my wife and I are doing in New York on September 18th is called Plants, Sound and Ancient Wisdom. And we do it in LA also. When we get back in October, we're going to kick it off in 
in LA as well. So yeah, just, just coming out and, you know, supporting that and also, you know, reaching out to me and just having a conversation, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here and, uh, available to answer any questions about any of this work. Right on, brother. Well, make sure you send over the links so we can drop them in the show notes for anyone who wants to work with you and your lovely wife. Hey, man, we made, we made it happen. And I'm so grateful because this was a powerful conversation. I really get, appreciated getting to know you on an even deeper level and for all the wisdom that you shared with the men out there, man. Thank you for what you do in the world. Yeah, I, I love you, Jetty Azuma. I love, I love your spirit. I love your name. I love everything that you're doing. And uh, this podcast is going straight to the moon, man. It's awesome what you're doing. And it just keeps getting better and better and more dialed in. And I mean, it's just a very high level of, of masculine wisdom that you're bringing. So thank you very much for that. Right on, brother. Yes, we're going to the stars. And I'm glad you're on the rocket ship with me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the stars, arrow to the sun, going, doing That's it. That's it. That's it, man. Right on, brother. There you have it. My biggest takeaway from connecting with Alexander in this way is that I, I got to understand the depth behind this man. You guys got to understand, we, we connected over Facebook Messenger. I think we had a couple of mutual connections and one of us messaged the other and said, hey, it'd be great to connect. And oh, by the way, we just moved to 30 minutes from where you guys live. Let's have dinner. Within a couple of days, we were having dinner here at my house with, with our families together. And this conversation, I really got to know this man and this journey that he's been on. And he's so genuine, so authentic with what he wants to bring to the world, what he is bringing to the world really just so, so genuine about the medicine path and how we can honor these old ways, these sacred ways, without having to be so rigid in our belief systems. I think that he really expressed that in his voice on this episode, that there's a way of walking in integrity in the, in the beauty way, as some of the ancient teachings tell us, that walking in this beauty way, walking in integrity, walking in truth will always prevail above anything else. And so I hope you guys got a lot out of this conversation the same way that I did. If this message and what we're talking about here on this podcast resonates with you, I strongly encourage you to apply for the Elements training that's occurring here in the greater Los Angeles area from October 26th to 28th. If you're looking to finally create the life you've always wanted, to break through your bullshit stories and find out what you're really made of, apply today and claim your spot all the information, all the applications can be found at rise.jediazuma.com slash elements. While you're at it, make sure you join the Rising Man Facebook community so you can get all the updates about elements, Rising Man fire circles, and all other information having to do with this community. By the way, quick message. The next Rising Man Fire Circle is going to be on Saturday, October 6th from 2 to 3.30 Pacific Standard Time. This is our monthly free event where we all just come together on a Zoom conference call and jam for 90 minutes talking all things relative to rising as men and how we can support each other in community. So mark your calendars, October 6th, 2 to 3.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Check out the show notes for links and resources relative to this episode and others at therisingmanpodcast.com. Subscribe or follow us on the podcast app of your choice. Leave a review or comment with your biggest takeaways, insights, and reflections from each episode, either on the app that you listen to or at therisingmanpodcast.com. Also check us out on Instagram at risingmanpodcast. 
Big shouts to Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-X on Instagram. The medicine man behind the scenes making these episodes everything that they can be. Appreciate you, Sean. And big ups to my Rising Man power team, Julian, Mark, Rowan. Oh, you guys, I don't know what I would do without you at this point. So <laughs> lots of love to all my brothers who are supporting me behind the scenes. Give it up for those guys. And until next time, rise up and claim your destiny. <laughs>